Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please join me now by turning to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 2. And this morning we are studying, starting in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and we are going to be concluding in Mark chapter 3, verse 6. And this morning's message is titled, Crushing Legalism's Lies. As a firefighter, one of my favorite things to do was to throw ladders. As every good firefighter does, I spent hours developing the technique of removing a 24-foot ladder from the bed of an engine, loading it on my shoulder, identifying the spot on the building that it needs to be deployed, deploying it off my shoulder, tying the halyard with the rope, and doing that all under 35 seconds. Now, of course, the reason... A quick deployment of a ladder is so important for a firefighter is because we might need to save a life. We might need to throw a ladder and climb the rungs to rescue a stranded victim within seconds. Now listen, friends, that's appropriate and commendable. But what's not appropriate is when we take that same work ethic and apply it to our relationship with the Lord. What's not appropriate is that after recognizing that we are stranded and separated from God as a result of our sin, and we throw a ladder and by our good deeds try to climb our way up to Him. But that is so often what we do, isn't it? It goes against every fiber of our being to believe that God doesn't accept us on the grounds of our obedience, but that he accepts us on the grounds of Christ's obedience and substitutionary death on our behalf. That goes against every fiber of our being, doesn't it? Well, this introduces us to a common problem called legalism. Legalism is what we are going to talk about in this morning's text. And as John Piper says, it is the conviction that law-keeping is the grounds of our acceptance with God. Legalism is the conviction that law-keeping is the ground of our acceptance before God. Well, we will watch in this text as a group of religious people try and climb legalism's ladder in order to make themselves acceptable to God. Try and climb legalism's ladder in attempt to earn their way into God's favor. But God's going to use this story to teach us something that we need to hear on a weekly basis, and I might even argue on a daily basis, a message that goes directly against our natural intuitions. The lie of legalism leaves us spiritually dead, but the grace of God promises us eternal life. The lie of legalism leaves us spiritually dead, but the grace of God promises us eternal life. Legalism says, do this, follow this rule, 
Avoid this practice and you will earn God's love. Listen, friends, that is a lie and it will lead you to hell just as fast as lawlessness will. But the grace of God says, you are more sinful than you could have ever fathomed, but you are more loved than you could have ever imagined. Give up and trust yourself to God and find waiting on you the life that you always wanted but could never earn. Find Christ. Find Jesus. Find forgiveness of sins. Find salvation. So if you would now please join me as we turn our attention to what is undoubtedly the best part of this morning's message. That is the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was, was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Take a second and pray, asking for God's help. Lord, we love you, and we want to take this moment and say that we need your help. Please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. Help us to believe what we hear and apply it immediately. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first point this morning is a humiliating question. Verses 23 to 28 of chapter 2. Now listen, by the time that I left the fire department, I could throw a pretty good ladder. I'm proud to say that. I wish I still had a 24-foot ladder at my house that I could throw on occasion because I loved doing this. But I did not start out with that skill. Let me tell you a story that's humiliating for me but that will no doubt be enjoyable for you. A story that everyone who is an employee of the Springdale Fire Department knows by heart. Now, 
Just a week or so after I got hired by the fire department, having no previous fire fighting experience, our training division captain, one of my favorite guys in the world, had us on the drill ground throwing ladders. He wanted to see if any of us had any natural talents that we were going to be bringing into the job, bringing into the department. And I'm sad to say that I did not make the list of natural talents on that day. But what did happen made a lasting memory. My assignment was to deploy a ladder for the first time in my life, extend the section, the fly section of the ladder, get it tied off, put it against the building under the second story window. Pretty easy assignment. Every firefighter does this. Every firefighter does this in their sleep. So I deployed the ladder, and in my mind, I thought, I did a pretty good job for the first time in my life. Well, that was until I heard a voice. Gray, did you play any sports in high school? And as I had this ladder on my side, I'm trying to get it off of my shoulder against the building. I say, yes, sir. No, sir. Kind of. <laughs> I, I have no, no idea how to answer that question. Um, <laughs> And then he said, well, bend your knees, son. Assume an athletic position. You don't look like an athlete. But here's the part that everyone remembers. Following this moment, we get back into the trucks together, and we're driving back <laughs> to station one. Me and the other recruits, without the captain present, I decide to impersonate him, just like you heard me do. From what I hear, that sounds just like him. I decide to impersonate him with my interpretation of what he meant with that question. Here's my interpretation. Great, did you play any sports in high school? Or did you just sit around and play with teacups and dolls all day? That's exactly what he meant by that question. How humiliating. But even this humbling question pales in comparison to the humbling question that Jesus asked the Pharisees on this Sabbath morning. In verse 25, he says this, Have you never read? Ooh, <laughs> that stinks. All these guys do is read. And he's asking them, have you never read? What set this question up? Well, Mark tells us, starting in verse 23, that on the Sabbath... As Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field, the disciples were hungry. And so they pluck and eat some wheat. Now the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week, a Saturday, which God had appointed for his people to be a, a purposeful day of rest, a purposeful day of worship. And the day that he wanted them to purpose to remember his saving grace in their life. How he had taken their ancestors, taken their people from the land of Egypt, saved them from their slavery to Pharaoh and to Egypt. How he rescued them. And coming out of Egypt, he wanted them to take that day and remember God saves his people. Standing right in front of these religious leaders is 
both the fulfillment of the Sabbath and the greatest act of God's saving grace. But as we're going to see, their hearts are too hard. Their eyes are too blind. Their ears are too deaf to see him, to hear him, to know him. Mark tells us that the Pharisees are outraged because Jesus and the disciples are working on the Sabbath and not resting simply because they are picking grains of wheat, verse 24. Now listen, I want to pause. Before we villainize these guys and just chalk them up as dummies, let's try to understand why they had such strong convictions. Pharisees were a religious group of individuals within Judaism that had formed following the exile of God's people way back in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. If you were here at Living Hope when we were studying Ezra and Nehemiah, you remember that this was the time period in which God's people were exiled out of Jerusalem because of their sin. They were, because of their sin, God's judgment was coming onto the nation and they were being exiled out of their nation so that they might learn not to sin again. This was a period of time that God's people went through. So the Pharisees, this religious group, forms after Ezra and Nehemiah lead the people back into Jerusalem. This religious group forms for this purpose. You can almost hear them saying something like this. Hey, let's form this religious group and let's write up laws to protect us from breaking God's law. In other words, we don't want to repeat history. It's kind of like this. The law of gravity says that if you go to the Grand Canyon and you get too close to its edge and you fall over, you're going to die. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a fence 10 feet back from the edge of the Grand Canyon so that you can't fall off the ledge and die. That's noble, right? Pleasing to God? Wrong. They wrote laws, the Pharisees wrote laws, so that God's people might not be exiled again. But with these laws, they ended up trusting in themselves instead of God and his word alone to save them, to keep them, to preserve them from sin. As a result, they robbed God's people of their freedom. And they suffocated them under layers of extra-biblical restrictions. And one of the most restricting extra-biblical laws was the Sabbath. Listen, the Pharisees, over a period of time, had developed 39 categories of work which were illegal for people to do on the Sabbath. And under each one of those 39 categories, there were multiple subcategories of work that was prohibited from God's people doing on the Sabbath so that they might not get close enough to breaking the Sabbath. Listen, these guys had the right intention, but they had the wrong heart. And listen, with God, it is always about the heart. 
These guys had the right intention, but the wrong heart. But with God, it is always about the heart. They wanted to obey God, but not from a heart of faith, motivated by grace. But from a heart of works, motivated by the law. Instead of obeying God because they loved God, they were trying to obey God because they wanted to earn his love. Their relationship with God consisted of, I do this right, and I do this regularly, and therefore you will accept me. You will bless me. You will save me. You will protect my family. You will, you will keep us. You will preserve us. But that's not how it works in God's economy. That's not how it works in relationship to God. Instead of reading the Bible like a love letter from the heart of God, they interpreted the Bible like a math equation. If I do this and I avoid this, then God will save me. Their compass, their internal guide had misguided them. They're miles away from being right with God. Though they knew God's law, they missed God's heart. And because they missed God's heart, they could not see God's Son. It's truly a tragedy. A tragedy in the making. Men who gave themselves over to reading and knowing and studying God's Word. Some of them maybe even having the entirety of it memorized in their mind. It's a tragedy to watch them, watch them who knew God's law miss the fulfillment of the law standing feet in front of their faces. It's a tragedy. But listen, Jesus doesn't leave them without hope. He wants them to change. He wants them to repent. So he opens the scriptures right in front of them and he shows them how far off they actually are. But the question is, is will they listen to him? Will they humble their hearts? He's helping them by telling them, telling them this in verse 25. He says this, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. In a split second, Jesus flips the argument back on these men and he reasons with them through the scriptures. This is a sign of his love. This is a sign of his compassion. He's extending for them an opportunity to repent. He opens his Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and he shows them an example from the life of David, the most beloved king in Israel's history. A guy that every one of these people, every one of these Pharisees would have known this story. Have you never read? They would have lost their breath at the thought. Have we never read? He's, he is our guy. David is our man. He is, we know everything about David. I have his life memorized in my mind. Well, by doing this, Jesus is saying to them something remarkably convicting. 
something that should have hit them in the heart, but because of their hardness of heart, it just bounces right off. It's a a sad thing to witness. Here's Here's what I see him saying in verse 25. You claim to love David... But the truth is, is that you are so legalistic that had you been there when David knocked on the door of the house of God that day and was hungry asking for food, you would have turned him away. Man, that would have hit them, should have hit them right in the most sensitive part of their hearts, knocking them to their knees. Their legalism has lied to them. And their spirituality is dead because of legalism. But in the next verse, Jesus is going to give them another opportunity to repent. He says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now listen, in one sentence about this long, Jesus teaches the crowd more, and even the Pharisees, more about the purpose behind the Sabbath than they had ever known or heard under the last 20, 30 plus years sitting under the Pharisees teaching. Week by week teaching. And they learn more about the purpose and the beauty of of the Sabbath in one sentence from Jesus than they had ever heard from the teaching of the Pharisees. Because they miss the heart of God. If you miss the heart of God, you miss everything. In one sentence, Jesus teaches them and teaches us how to read our Bibles. God loves us. And he gave us laws to protect us, to reveal to us his character, and to show us our great need for him. And his saving work in our lives. Specifically, he's teaching them that the Sabbath is a gift from God. That's what he wants them to hear. The Sabbath is a gift from God. Straight from the Father. It's a gift for you. Not a thief meant to come and rob you. Steal from you. Pleasure or work or success. He's calling the Pharisees to change. But how do they know he's right? They've built their life on this principle. They've become famous, even recognized because of their ability to invent laws. How do they know that he's right? Well, he tells them. He says in verse 28, the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. Whoa, That's big time. Watch him as his finger moves from following along the text of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 21 to now pointing to himself, saying to the Pharisees and saying to the crowds, I am the one who gave you the Sabbath law in Exodus chapter 20. Therefore, I am the one who can tell you that you're wrong in your interpretation of the Sabbath law. Whoa, who are we in the presence of? That leads to our second point this morning. How a hand reveals God's heart. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. 
Let me start this section off with a question for you. Does the way that you are living accurately communicate the heart of God to a lost and dying world? Does the way you're living accurately communicate the heart of God to a lost and dying world? Well, if we ask the Pharisees that question, the answer would be no. And that, that answer is obvious in the story that we're about to study. Mark says in chapter 3, verse 1, that again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. In this one passage, we see two hearts. The heart of Jesus and the heart of legalism. And as I was studying this text, I'm asking myself the question, which one does my heart look like? Friend, which one does your heart look like? Jesus' heart is drawn towards the needy. The legalist heart is drawn towards strictness. Which is my heart drawn towards? Mark tells us in verse 2, that they are watching Jesus carefully to see if whether or not he would heal this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. But listen, there is nothing in the law that forbids mercy. There's nothing in the law that forbids compassion. And that's the problem. With these guys. These teachers of the law are not teaching God's law. They're teaching their additions to the law. Their teaching, their manuals are so fat with rules and restrictions and regulations that there's just not enough time to teach God's law. They have too much time to teach their law. Well, if we have time, we'll get to what God says. But if we teach our laws, we will protect you from breaking God's law. And so we won't really have to teach God's law. They had, listen, they had such strict rules in place to keep them from working on the Sabbath, that if a building were to collapse, the law only permitted them to move enough stones from the collapsed building to determine if there was evidence of life. But if they moved enough stones and saw the corpses of people and determined by a, a specific number, there's no signs of life here, they would stop working for that day and return to get the bodies from the rubble the next day. I mean, how sad is that? There's nothing biblical about that. That's, that's a huge problem. If you claim to teach the Bible, but you don't teach the Bible. You teach everything around the Bible. Everything about this is legalistic. Everything about their categories, their 39 categories, to not break the law of the Sabbath is legalistic. It's the conviction that we can do something to earn God's love. 
But you can almost hear the objections from the religious leaders at this point. Maybe if they were here, they'd stand up at this point and, and object, say, you're not representing us, right? I think I am. But here's what they might say. But God, we added these laws in addition to your law so that we might not sin against you. Man, that sounds so noble. But listen, to that, Jesus says this in verse 4. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Jesus wields the word. That's what's so, there's so many things beautiful about Jesus. But, but in particular in this text, what's beautiful about him is, is he's just opening God's word. It's, you, you, you've heard the stories of the Reformation, haven't you? You've heard how, how thirsty God's people were for God's word because the church leaders in the time of the Reformation, in the hundreds of years leading up to the Reformation, were feeding God's people everything but God's word. And they're starving. And then Luther comes on the scene and he's just saying, let's just get back to the Bible. Sola Scriptura. Let's get back to the Bible. And people are coming to faith. Isaiah 55, come to the waters and drink. They're coming to the waters of Christ and they're drinking in. They're seeing, there's, there's not all these rules and regulations that, that, that we have to, hoops that we have to jump through before we get to God's word, but that we can come to God's word and hear from God himself in a moment, in a second, in a, in a morning. We can hear from him. That's what's happening with Jesus and his ministry is, is the people are drowning under the extra-biblical restrictions from, this, from these pharisaical legalistic leaders. And he's opening the word to them. And he himself is the word, unlike us. He himself is the word, but he's also teaching the word. And people are... Who is this man? He is authority and he's teaching with authority. And the text leading up to this text is remarkable. He's pointing to himself, drawing attention to his unique authority. I am unlike anyone that you've ever met. And he does that here as well when he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. But you know what else he does? He appeals to the authority of Scripture. Have you not read what David did? Jesus is a Bible man. He's giving God's people the word because in the word you have life. You have freedom. You have joy because in the word you see God loves me more than I could have ever imagined. Yes, I'm more sinful than I could have ever fathomed, but he loves me. He loves me. He forgives me. He moves towards me. He's kind to me. He's he's compassionate towards me. He's merciful towards me. It's a drink of fresh water to the woman at the well who's been told all her life, you can't approach God. You're far too sinful. You have to come out here and associate with yourself. You can't associate with the, with the common people, with God's people. You're too filthy. You're too sinful. And Jesus walks straight up to her. The fulfillment of the law. You know what he's showing us? He's not showing us what the law wasn't. He's showing us what the law always was. He's showing us how beautiful it is. How beautiful the character of God is in his word. How beautiful the character of God is in giving the law. 
When God's people are rescued from their slavery in Egypt, they're rescued from lawlessness. Surrounding them in Egypt is lawlessness. Surrounding them in the nations is lawlessness. God loves us so much that he gave us laws. That we could relate to him. That we wouldn't hurt one another. We'd be kind and compassionate as a family. Jesus is showing them this is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of God. He wields the word against them in order that their hard hearts might be convicted of unbelief and repent. In verse 4, Jesus asked them a question which has an obvious answer from God's word. In the parallel account, Matthew records Jesus saying these words. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, he says, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So what's the problem? What's the problem with these guys? Why are they silent following Jesus' question? Herein lies their problem. If they answer him according to God's word, they will find themselves disagreeing with their tradition. And they're not willing to let go of their tradition. In their tradition, they've built friendships. In their tradition, they've built for them skills, a way of living. In their tradition, they have comfort. In their tradition, they recognize this is what we've always done. But Jesus is calling them to repent, to get back to his word, to repent and believe that the word in the flesh is standing right in front of them. What is Jesus' response to people who are unwilling to repent of their legalism? Well, listen, Mark doesn't mince, mince any words here, does he? In verse 5, he shows us what Jesus' response is. He says this, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness Wow. Then he says this. Stretch out your hand. <laughs> oh. Jesus is so beautiful. He's so beautiful. This guy's this guy's caught in the middle of this situation. And Jesus' beautiful heart is shown. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. Jesus' mercy so exposed the legalistic heart of these Pharisees that it pricked their pride. And they ran out 
of the synagogue in verse 6. And they held counsel with the Herodians, that is, people of Herod's court. What? The religious leaders teaming up with Herod's court? Ah, you see here how much they claim to love righteousness, but actually hate righteousness. And they discuss how they might destroy him. Wow. They believed him to be violating the Sabbath and thought of him as a dangerous influence. But let's ask a question here. Was Jesus teaching us that we should disregard the law of the Sabbath? Was he teaching us that we should throw off Act like it was never written, the law of the Sabbath? What role does that commandment, the fourth commandment in the ten, what role does it play in the life of the believer? What they fail to realize is that the fulfillment of the Sabbath law was standing in their presence. The fulfillment of the Sabbath law was in their presence. And they failed to recognize this. Standing in front of them was the rest that our souls longed to experience and were designed to know. Standing in front of them was the realization of what the law was pointing towards. The rest that it was commanding is realized in a person, right in front of them. Friend, have you ever experienced the soul-satisfying rest that is found in Jesus alone? The rest from your works I work my fingers down to the bone, but nothing I did could ever atone. But Jesus, you loved me still. That's the rest we're talking about here. The Sabbath rest is pointing to a rest of of our works, a rest, a realization of the rest that we can't work ourselves into a right standing. The, the law was given to show us the character of God and to show us our great need for God. And then there he is, standing in their presence, the very realization of the fourth commandment, the rest that the law could only point to and promise was coming. There he is. Rest from your works on Saturday. That's pointing towards a day when you're going to rest from your works entirely because someone's going to come and work on your behalf. He's going to obey all the law, all the commandments, never failing one moment. He's going to work on your behalf. He's going to be your righteousness on your behalf. He's going to die as a substitute in your place on your behalf. That fourth commandment's pointing you towards something that you can't do, but something that God's going to do. And there he is, right in their presence. There he is. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Listen, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest. 
So then there remains a Sabbath rest. What is that rest? Tell us, author of Hebrews, who I think is either Paul or Luke. For the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What is the rest he's talking about? What is the rest? Well, listen, it's not a day. The rest Hebrews is talking about, the authoritative, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, the rest it is talking about is not a day. It is a person. It is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. For the Christian, we don't have holy days and, 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 and unholy days. We only have todays. <laughs> we don't have holy days and unholy days. We only have todays. That's the point of that the, the book of Hebrews is driving home when it says this in, X, in Hebrews 3, 13. Exhort one another every day as long it is, as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sunday is not the new Sabbath day. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. He is the rest the Sabbath always promised and pointed towards. Sunday is a beautiful day. Even a day that is commanded from Holy Scripture for God's people to gather. But no amount of attendance to Sunday services will save your souls. Only Christ can do that. So friend, how is your ladder throwing? Are you like the religious leader who throws and climbs legalism's ladder straight up to God? Climbing rung by rung, work after work to earn God's love? Well, if you are, friend, give it up. You'll climb the rest of your life and you'll never get one rung closer to being in a right relationship with God. Instead, you need to realize that you are not the firefighter on scene in this story. Jesus is. He is the one who throws the ladder, descends from heaven, and rescues you from your sin. And when he finds us, what is our condition? When he finds us after throwing the ladder from heaven, descending it, coming to rescue, what is our condition? Well, the condition's not good. We're not breathing. We're not able to assist him in getting up and walking out of the building. We're not able to get up and walk out on our own. Our condition is far more serious than that, far worse off than that. We're not able to help him at all. No, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And when he comes to us, he resurrects us. He imparts to us new life. He gives us the gift of life and eternal life. He gives us a new heart. Jesus comes to us and he does everything necessary to accomplish our salvation.
How amazing is that? Friends, the lie of legalism leaves us spiritually dead. But the gift of God's grace promises us, promises us eternal life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we, as we close. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for, as Paul talks about in Philippians 2, having a humility, emptying yourself by taking on the form of a man. Thank you, Lord, for living a life that we couldn't live and dying the death that we deserve to die. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.